Welcome in to another episode of ESPN's NBL podcast. My name's Kane Pittman, and alongside me, once again by the power of Wi-Fi, Olga Nulich. And I'm sad to say, well, first of all, I'm sad to say we're only down to four teams because it does mean that the NBL season is coming to a close, which yeah, we love the postseason, but it's a little bit sad. We've had a great season, but I'm also sad. You're going to Sydney tomorrow, I believe, so we might have hit the end of our in-studio podcast for NBL 23 as well. It feels that way. I don't think there's a reason to have an in-person podcast anymore, especially if, if we're only going to record in Melbourne. I'll be in Sydney. We'll see for how long, at least the semifinals, and like we'll see where, where that takes us after that. Maybe we do a, an in-person pod at a stadium. That would, that would be the dream. Maybe in New Zealand, maybe in Tassie, maybe in Cairns, maybe in Sydney. That's maybe the next step. When we get the capabilities to do that, that'd be fine. So you're heading up, uh, we're recording this Monday afternoon, you're heading up tomorrow. I think you are going to be in person for Sydney and Cairns game one on Wednesday night. We've got game two between New Zealand and Tasmania on Thursday. I think we're going to split it up. I wouldn't mind checking out this Tassie New Zealand series. We'll see if we can get down. They've still never been down to see our friends in Tassie for a game. I went down there last year to spend some time with the Jack Jumpers, but I haven't been there for a game. And we're going to get into that series in just a little bit. But something tells me that that building is going to be absolutely insane on Thursday night with the season on the line. Like without a question, I think the the matchup suits it. It's two teams that play super physical. <laughs> I think they're just different versions of the same beast. Um, and I think Tazzy would have felt like during stretches of that game one that they they maybe had that. They maybe could have stolen that. And so I feel like they sort of disappointed themselves in sort of the way they responded to New Zealand's physicality and that sort of thing. And then we've seen the way that my state of Bank Arena can just sort of lift a team and how it can lift some of their sort of ancillary players as well. So that is without question going to be the loudest building that I reckon it'll be the loudest building that we've seen this season thus far. They're going to have to lift because they've had some serious problems against the Breakers so far this season. We'll get into that a little bit later. But first, we need to talk about the team that uh, went fishing on the weekend, as uh, the great Kenny Smith likes to say over in the NBA. And that is the Perth Wildcats. 91-78, they went down. They were able to get through the Phoenix on Thursday night. This was a step too far against the Cairns Taipans. And I'm sorry to say for the Wildcats, I mean, we've been flagging it all season long. But in the end, they could not slow down this Cairns Taipans team on the offensive end. And in particular, DJ Hogue, who finished the night with 32 points and was just simply outstanding. And for me, it's a bad loss for the Wildcats. No Keanu Pinder, no Chajir McCall. This is if, if, but, but ultimately, as we've discussed, their problems on the defensive end meant that they were still not able to overcome a severely shorthanded Cairns Taipans team. And John really said it before the game as well. Without Tajir McCall, they play with a different flow. And I think we, we saw that in uh, toward the end of the regular season when the Taipans beat the Wildcats in Perth without Tajir McCall, without Keanu Pinder. They play with a different level of flow. The, the ball moves a little bit more. Bodies, the, the, the ball doesn't stick. Bodies are moving. And so it wasn't completely unsurprising that they came out with that same you know level of ball movement. Um, I like that... The, the loss of Tiji McCall means that DJ Hogue necessarily has to be the guy on that team. I think he's the most talented player on that team. So the fact that the ball had to be in his hands and he had to shoot them, I think that that was a, a positive for them and hopefully 
they get healthy and he can continue being that level of player. Um, but it really got to a point where Perth's defense caught up with them, right? You, you're not going to bank on, you know, a bunch of bad Taipans offensive games in a row. They had a bad one against Tassie and credit to the Tassie defense too, but they were going to come out firing and, you know, that Perth defense was bad for a lot of the season, practically the entire back end of the season. And, you know, it's just, it, in a one-off game where you thought maybe they can get over the line. They did it against Southeast Melbourne. You think the the talent and the shot making can maybe get them through those one-off games, but, you know, getting through two, you know, do or die games and then a series, it was just never going to be sustainable, you know, in, you know, a post regular season sort of game. Um, and like it clearly showed. I said this to you yesterday. We watched the games together yesterday and I asked you, I said, I would be fascinated if you asked John really, yeah, maybe off the record, what he thought about this team as the season went on in terms of whether or not they were able to overcome the defensive stuff. Because, you know, you've been in press conferences. They played the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix at the State Basketball Centre about three weeks ago. And I just asked him straight up, do you think that with this defense, you can win in the postseason against the best teams? Because historically, teams cannot do that. And he was adamant straight away. Yes, of course. Tell me when they stop counting on the scoreboard. But you know, ultimately, the rebounding struggles that this team had, the defensive problems that this team had, particularly when it came to stopping anything at the rim, that's going to catch up against you when you're playing the top four defenses in the league, which is what we've got left over here. So I don't blame the Wildcats when they picked up Ty Webster, who we should say he didn't play yesterday. Maybe that would have been helpful because they needed someone else that could score. But I don't blame them that they went all in on offense when they added Webster and they got to the point in the season where it's like, okay, well, we're not a defensive team, but I tell you what we can do, we can score. But the big concern for me was at some point they were going to have a night where they did not shoot the three well. And if you're even slightly off on the offensive end, there is no way you can keep up against the best teams. And that's exactly what happened. And you look at the final score and you say, okay, it's 91 to 78. And the real simplistic way of looking at that, you say 91 points, it's not disastrous. But if you really take a look at the numbers, it was not good. They had a defensive rating of 116. Uh, they had a defensive rating of 116.5 in this game. That's not good. That That is really on par with where they were at for the whole season, which was dead last in the league. They gave up 70% at the rim. DJ Hogue was 6 for 7 on twos. Bull Qual was 7 for 10 on twos. And Sam Wardenberg was 6 for 8 on twos. And we watched the halftime show on uh, ESPN and, and Liam, who does a great job on the, the analyzer board, whatever they call it. He does it. He picks out the plays and he goes through the plays while the game is happening. It, it's superb stuff. And I, I love that on the coverage. And he pointed out the fact that now the Cairns type ends are playing five out. They've got five guys that can space the floor, which just gives everyone a little bit of room to work. And I said to you, I said, it's interesting because what I'm seeing, and I might be wrong, but what I was seeing was that the Cairns type ends knew that one-on-one, the Wildcats cannot defend. So yes, there was some floor spacing elements there, but what we saw a lot of is if you set one ball screen and the, and the Perth Wildcats switch, now you've got DJ Hogue on a Webster, you've got someone with Brady Manick in front of him, and they were just like, I'm just going to take you to mid-range, I'm going to get straight to the rim, and I'm going to score over you, around you, on top of you, and there was no resistance. So two things. Firstly, I think, I think, both, I think you and Liam can both be right. Uh, in the sense that... Yeah, I agree. If, yeah, it's, I'm, if not, it was, I'm just if it was saying like, like maybe my observations were not on point. I'm not sure. He was definitely right. Totally. It was, <laughs> it was, it was, it's definitely all of it combined, right? It's definitely, you know, DJ Hogue, you know, gets... You know, Brady Manic gets switched onto DJ Hogue. 
Yeah, that means that he can DJ Hogue will take him off the dribble. Like it's just that is just gonna happen. And then when you do that, the help comes again. If you're spreading the floor like they are, you know, they probably have the widest floor in the league just by nature of the talent that they have. Then you know you're gonna get these open looks and you're gonna get good looks at the rim. And then that's what Sam Warnerberg got all night, just good looks at the rim because you you can't help off these shooters. And so I think everyone's a bit correct here, and we're we're a big happy family in that way. Where I sort of disagree with you is being okay with the uh, the direction that Perth decided to go in when they realized that hey we're not a great defensive team let's lean into let's lean into offense. I, I don't know if I completely agree because historically in the in, in the NBL we know that if you are a good defensive team if you are one of the top three or four defensive teams you will more than likely make the finals and if you are a top two defensive team there is a very good chance that you're going to win a title. Um, that is just something that has been a trend practically since the league came into existence. And so to go away from that, but to still expect that outcome doesn't make that much sense. If you want the outcome, then you should lean into the thing that has demonstrated to lead to that outcome. And that's not what they did. Um, I, I get it was maybe all they could do. Maybe they didn't think that, you know, one piece was going to completely change what they do defensively. And so let's just wing it and see if, you know, this new, st- this new style of basketball, just like, run up and down, shoot a lot of threes works. Um, it was just historically, it, it's, it's never demonstrated to lead to, to ultimate success. Um, so I feel like that's like going to be the first question and the first box that they're going to try and tick this off season to amend that so they don't have to be that desperate again. I agree. But I guess my point is that I don't think that they put this team together thinking it was going to be the worst defensive team in the league. Like, my, my point is, my point is like once they got to the point of the season where it's like, okay, is it actually feasible to, to bring in someone that we think is going to change the defense or not? And if it's not, then we think we know how we can win a bunch of games. And they did win a bunch of games and it got them to the playing tournament just by the way, just, yeah. and John really said it best. He was asked by one of the reporters in the, uh, post-game press conference you know do you take positives or is this a positive season or a step in the right direction something along those lines and he said no we just scraped into the playing tournament finished sixth and and didn't win a championship so i love his attitude i think he's bang on but i just thought mm. on the back end of the season and let's be honest it's not too often you can add a player like ty webster to your roster late in the season so i i thought when it got so late in the year where there was no turning back that was the only option they had was to go all in on offense. But I'd be fascinated uh, to see or how they break down this season and what they think they can do to change this team. Because, yeah, I, I didn't have much faith that they were going to be able to win in the postseason with the roster the way it was. And I guess as I was watching that game yesterday and the Taipans just going to work inside and, like I said, 70% shooting at the rim, which is absolutely insane. It did make me think a little bit, and I don't think we need to talk about the Phoenix too much, but it did make me think a little bit about Thursday, the fourth quarter of that game where the Phoenix were in complete control. They shot 10 three-point attempts in the fourth quarter. The offense got, okay, no passing. Let's just shoot the outside jump shot. I asked Simon Mitchell about that, and he said part of it was the fact that the Wildcats were scoring, so you're stuck playing half-court basketball a little bit. Whatever, I, I think you can score in the half court against the Perth Wildcats. Get the ball to Sauce, get the ball to Mitch Creek. He pointed to some fatigue stuff. We understand that Bryce Cotton was insane in the fourth quarter of that game, and that will help you get back into the game. But, gee, I, I do think the Phoenix would be watching that game yesterday and thinking, man, we, we went away from what we were doing really well and dominating this team. Yeah, and we, you you and I were watching that, that Phoenix-Perth game, and 
I think it was it kept hovering around a 10 point lead and it never stretched out more than that. And there was a sense that they're going to regret not being able to stretch that lead out just that little bit more. And it's what Cairns did. And Cairns kept going back to what yeah. they did well. Um, you know, it got to a, a six point game and then, you know, Cairns would, would fight right back and um, just keep putting pressure on that, uh, that Perth defense. And then they brought their lead back up to double digits. Southeast didn't do that. Um, and I am, again, like you said, I imagine that's annoying because of uh, their their capacity. They have the they have the capability to do that. They they were dominating when they threw it inside to, to Alan Williams and to Mitch Creek. Was Alan Williams was he six for ten that game? Um, does that sound well. reasonable to you? It, yeah, it's something like in, it's something like seventeen point sixteen rebounds or something. I mean, it, and he didn't really touch the ball in the fourth get, quarter. Well, no, that, that's what's enough. annoying. That you know you throw it into him, and it, it was their clear deficiency: the fact that they can't guard. Alan Williams when he gets the ball inside and same with Mitch Creek. And they just, like you said, they went away from that. Um, and, you know, that's partly coaching. That's partly, I guess, fatigue. And, and so I guess that's stuff that, that's got to be addressed. But I think they're another team that has to address what they do on the defensive end. Ninth in half court defense. They have to address that if they actually want to achieve like long-term success and, and, you know, get to the pointy end of the season. So final point on the Wildcats. The Phoenix are gone. Wildcats are gone. Final point on... Uh, the Wildcats, though, because I've mentioned John really a little bit. I, I just want to say, just from a this is purely selfish enjoyment of press conferences and watching uh, how he interact. I, I think he's a great operator. I enjoy it, and I like that. There's a little bit of combativeness there, and sometimes I was asking questions, and yeah, I'm like, I'm not sure if this guy <laughs> thinks that this is a good question or he doesn't. Yeah, which I appreciate. So I think he's been a good addition to the league. First year after being in college for a long time, I'm fascinated to see what the Wildcats do in year two with John really, particularly because uh, let's face it, Bryce Cotton doesn't look like he's slowing down. And, and as long as you've got him there, you would think that this is a team that can potentially uh, make a rise next year. You know, someone like John really, I'm interested to see how much you actually learn from, you know, your first season as a head coach and take that into the next season. So someone like John really, someone like Jacob Jacomas, these guys, I'm intrigued to see what they learn, um, you know, good and bad and how they carry that over. And like you said, JR is a different cat. He's an interesting dude to have in press conferences. Um, he will bite back at you. Uh, mm-hmm. And that can, that can feel that that's like a, it's a fun press conference to walk into. You're sort of walking to a little, yeah. into a little battle, uh, but you, but you know that it's all in good faith and, and all that sort of thing. Um, but at the very least, he sort of keeps us on our toes. And I appreciate that. Absolutely. All right. I'll tell you what else I'm going to appreciate. And that's a Sydney Kings cans type bands semi-final series now if we go through what they've done in the regular season it's interesting because the Cairns Taipans have beaten the Kings twice uh, and the one time that the Kings beat the Taipans was a buzzer beater the other interesting thing well all the games have been close so they're, they're between the three games a six-point win to the Taipans in overtime a five-point win to the Taipans and then a the three-point win to the Kings so they've all been super close games the last time they played uh, was on November 28 so it was a long time ago some things have changed Namely for the Taipans, obviously, Pinder isn't going to be there. I mean, I I was kind of thrown off by the McCall stuff. Mm. I, I don't know what this means for he, for the rest of his season, but I, I didn't. I don't know if you had any word there, but I from watching the game, I, I wasn't suspecting that he wasn't going to play. So I guess we'll wait and see there. But the point is, things have changed since November 28. But what's your surface-level first thoughts uh, about this semifinal series? Um. So 
again, the general feel going into any season is that if you can nail down your defense and you have good depth, then you have a really good chance of going far. I think Sydney has both of those. I think Kansas has one of those. Um, Kansas' defense has been awesome all season. Sydney's defense has been awesome all season. Um, I think Adam Ford said it, that he feels as though this team is built to play, to match up perfectly against Sydney. And, and I feel like that's largely correct. Their ability to, to be really switchy and um, the, the long bodies that they, had, that they have. I think Damon Larry said it, everyone's 6'9". That's very funny. But like it, that's what it feels like when you go up against this this Taipans team, and so I think they have the capacity to make it difficult for Derek Walton to operate, and and you know probably be as effective as you can be against Xavier Cooks. Um, I just feel like their depth is the thing that's going to catch up to them. Um, missing Pender and missing Tiji McCall, um, you know you can have someone like Ben Air help you in stretches, um, and Wardenberg has stepped up in a big way. But I just don't, and, and Latman has been really solid off the bench lately and had minutes all season. He's hitting shots. He's guarding pretty well. I just feel like Sydney's depth is just too much. Um, they're going to keep coming at you in waves. And I don't know if, uh, if Kansas is going to be able to sustain that, especially the way we've seen their bench perform at times. I think it was a big reason why that Tassie game was a struggle for them. Cause as soon as their bench came on and they were up against a deeper team, that Tassie team ended up sort of like they kept rolling and can sort of fell behind. I imagine it's going to be a similar thing with Sydney and probably even more so considering how seasoned they are. Um, I think their bench has demonstrated more and they've been here before. Um, it's going to be tough for the the Taipans, but again, they're one of those teams where that's exactly what they want me to say. Yeah, first thing that's interesting is the Kings obviously haven't played for a little while, so the start yep. will be interesting. And I don't think that this was the case. I mean, we saw this with the Phoenix. They had an extended period off before the game against Perth. Uh, but they started well. So there was nothing you could point yeah. to to say that the break impacted them. But having said that, I'll watch the first half with interest to see if there's any any rust here for Sydney because, what as we do know, with a three-game series, there's not much room for error. Particularly in these game yeah. ones, if you have a slip-up, all of a sudden uh, you you uh, potentially face in, or your season will be on the line on the road. So it can swing pretty quickly. The Taipans were the first team I wrote about this year when talking about how teams can beat the Sydney Kings because the defense is very predictable from Sydney in terms of what they want you to do. They want you to shoot threes, but not only do they want you to shoot threes, they want you to shoot above the break threes. They're cutting out the corners. You're not not getting corner threes against uh, the Sydney Kings. The other thing they do is obviously protect the rim as well as any team in the league. So when I went through and looked at the three games, Spatial Jam, beautiful website, the shot machine, the Taipans had a 52% three-point rate in games against Sydney this year. So it means that more than half of their shot attempts were coming from three. Now, the interesting thing is that they were 37 for 118 from three. So only shooting 31%. But out of those 118 three-point attempts, only nine of them came from the corners. So it's very much a blueprint that I think the Sydney Kings would walk away and say, I don't actually think we're too disappointed with the way we defended in these games. Yes, we lost a couple of close games, but in two of the wins that the Cairns Taipans had, they only scored 83 points and then 94 in an overtime game. So I think the Kings would look at their own offense and say, okay, we understand the Taipans are a really good defensive team, but we're pretty comfortable with the way we defended. And then when I look at the matchups and you don't have Pinder, let's say you don't have McCall for game one. I don't know. I hope he plays, but if he doesn't, I think you have Justin Simon can defend uh, Shannon Scott. Uh, maybe Walton Jr. can defend Bull Qual. And then you put the MVP on 
DJ Hogue. So I, I think that I think that they'll like the matchups. And and I think the Kings they've been helped out by some health stuff for the Taipans, there's no doubt. But I think if you go back and look at the games a little bit closely, the Taipans will feel confident because they've beaten this team twice. But I don't think that the Sydney Kings would be overly alarmed by what went down in those games. Yeah, and we speak about, and, you know, Forty sort of holds his hat on the fact that I think this Taipans team does match up quite well against the Sydney Kings. But I also think Sydney matches up pretty well against the Taipans. And especially without Tijima McCall, uh, if he doesn't play, and especially without Keanu Pinder, they don't have those sort of X-factor guys who can create energy out of nothing. And I feel like you're going to need that against a really good Sydney Kings defense. You know, McCall is someone who can just get two feet in the paint, you know, get his head on the rim and create that way. And obviously the spacing helps there. Same with Keanu Pinder. He can go on those like rolling stretches where, you know, he can also get two feet in the paint and, and create that way. And so if they don't have that and they're just relying on, you know, the traditional way they, they go about their stuff, I just, I don't know if they're going to have, you know, the, the depth to, to continue attacking a really good Sydney Kings defense. Um, and, you know, who guards Xavier Cooks in this instance? I think Sam Warnenberg has improved down the stretch, and I think DJ Hogue is a really underrated defender. He, he would be all-defense first team, I think, if that if that team existed. Um, but I feel like you put DJ Hogue on him, and then all of a sudden you still have... Derek Walton Jr. doing his thing. Can Bull Kowal do enough against him? Derek Walton's a bit shifty and Bull Kowal can get in foul trouble. You know, foul trouble to one of these guys and all of a sudden their bench is looking really thin and they've got to play these guys who aren't a season. So I just feel like everything's in the favor of the Sydney Kings. It was, I think it was going to be that way anyway and the injuries just, just tip it even more. Yeah, and that's why the injuries suck. So yeah. If, if everyone's healthy, how do I feel about this series? I don't know. Maybe I think that it can be a little bit closer. I think the injuries really hurt. And the Pinder one is fascinating because we've spoken about, well, the Cairns Taipans have won a whole bunch of games this year without Pinder in the lineup. But I do think he's important against the Sydney Kings. He had, or he took 34 free throw attempts across those three mm. games against the Kings. And if you're really struggling for offense, how can you get easy points? Get to the free throw line and then it, it doubles up as also putting the Sydney Kings, whether it's Xavier Cooks, or Tim Suarez in foul trouble, and Suarez across the three games fouled out in one game. I believe that was in five minutes, by the way. And then he had four personal fouls, four personal fouls in the other game. So Pinder getting to the free throw line was was a big addition to the Cairns offense. And then the other thing is the Kings had 54 turnovers across those three games. So how are the Cairns type fans going to score against the Kings who are really good defensively in the half court, create live ball turnovers, get in transition and try and score easy points, get into the free throw line and transition offense, as well as potentially getting hot from the outside. That's how the Kansas Taipans can score, but it feels like the Kings might have some easier avenues on on the offensive end. Um, Again, because if you're taking out two very important defenders for the Kansas Taipans. Yeah. And and I remember that, that game in Cairns where both Pinder and Cooks played extremely well, but Cooks's night was cut short because he was in foul trouble, because he was going up against, um, you know, an erratic player like Keanu Pinder, and he just he just couldn't sort of stay in front of him. And then, you know, the refs, you know, call things in Pinder's favor, and, and Cooks had had an early night. Um, when it comes to those live ball turnovers, I'm thinking, why is Cairns good at forcing that sort of stuff? It's because they can pick up full court. They can put a lot of pressure on you. But I just feel like uh, without the bench, without, 
the necessary depth, I don't think they can lean into that too much because they need to be able to preserve their bodies. They can't afford for Bullcall to get in foul trouble. They can't afford for Shannon Scott to get in foul trouble. And so those guys not being able to pick up full court and put up put on that pressure, which I think they should, it, it makes it really, really difficult for them to, you know, to put that sort of force that they want to consistently throughout the series. There's only one thing I want from the playoffs, and you know this. I want two three-game series, and then I want a five-game grand final series. That's all I'm here for. I'm here for the maximum chaos. Uh, The tight bands will go in underdogs, no doubt about that. And as you said, I feel like they're going to feel pretty good about being in that position. That's exactly where they want to be heading into this series. The other semifinal series... The breakers, in the end, and you kind of reference it, the jack jumpers were pesky. They're always pesky. But ultimately, it, the breakers were able to get away pretty comfortably in the fourth quarter. They win at 88 to 68. This one, the jack jumpers, again, a team that, you know, they were down 1-0 in the semifinal last year. Not many people picked them to make the semifinals again this year. I did not. So they may be where they want to be. But this is a very, very difficult matchup for the Tasmania Jack Jumpers. They've now lost four out of five games against the Breakers this season. And perhaps the most concerning element of this is the points they've scored. So they scored 68 points yesterday in a 20-point loss. Earlier in the season, they scored 65 points in one matchup. That was a loss. In another loss, they scored 62. And then in another loss, they scored 76. So in the four losses, they just have not scored. And the problem is that the game that they won... They won at 93 to 82, but we have to put a little asterisk next to it because that was the first game for the Breakers in over three weeks after they had their COVID uh, stuff that uh, completely ruined their December. So it, you know, if you just look at the numbers, this has not been a fun matchup for Tasmania. Yeah. So firstly, let me credit myself. I picked Tasmania to make the top four. Um, I did not pick Kansas or New Zealand to make it, but let me have Tasmania. Um the the offense is a problem, and it's even more so because there is no Josh Majet. Um, him being out at the very least, just to steady what they do um, in that game one, it was really interesting. I thought Tasmania was getting pretty good looks, um, and they just weren't falling. And then what happened was, I think the physicality of the Breakers rattled them a little bit, um, and and you know the Breakers being on top of them, you know, pushing it in transition, getting easy looks at the rim. I thought that rattled them too, to the point where they started going away from that stuff that was working. It just the outcomes weren't there, but I think the processes were really good. But they, for some reason, went away from that, um, lent into a lot of ISO ball stuff, and that obviously led to their demise. Because I don't think that you know being ISO ball heavy against a really good defense like New Zealand, I don't think that's sustainable at all. Um, and so you know them leaning away from the stuff that that works and. You know, going toward that, that's where they miss Majet the most, I think. Majet is like that calming force who can come in, understands the, the urgency of the moment, understands the situations they're in and says, hey, we're getting good looks. Our processes are good. The outcomes will come. We just have to stick with it. Um, that maturity wasn't there. And I think they were sort of rattled by the breakers' physicality. And so I, am, I hope they learn from that. Uh, it will be helpful that they'll have their own crowd behind them. And so when push comes to shove and, you know, when those tough moments come, they'll at the very least have their own crowd sort of on top of them. Um, but that's something that I think they need to overcome. They need to stick with their processes because I think they're good. They just need to have kind of trust that those outcomes will be there at the end of the day. 
Yeah, they're going to have to hit some threes to relieve some of the that pressure well. here against this yeah. Breakers team because the big problem for Tazzy, and you pointed to it, without Majet, actually having that dribble penetration where you can then start to unlock some of the other stuff against the Breakers, it's been problematic all season. In fact, only 26% of their shots have come at the rim, which is a, a really, really low number for uh, the league averages somewhere around the middle of, of the 30s there. So it's it's a very low number. They just have not been able to get to those spots because of Pardon, because of Brantley. And I tell you who else because of Will McDowell-White. Because again, we were watching this game yesterday and I comment, commented to you a few times about just how physical Will McDowell-White is. And there was a couple of times where he picked up offensive fouls because he, he will put the shoulder into his opponent. He may push off a little bit and he does the same thing defensively. There was one possession where Jack McVeigh was trying to back him down. And this is a really high percentage shot for McVeigh. We see it all the time because he'll, he'll get a smaller guy, back him down to the mid-range, turn around jump shot. He's become really efficient at that. But Will McDowell-White was not moving. And not only was he not yeah. moving, he was hitting Jack just as hard back the other way. And McVeigh just couldn't get anywhere. And I thought it was a really impressive game from McDowell-White, who, by the way, he did not play in that game that the Jack Jumpers won against the Breakers this year as well. So, you know, you only got 11 minutes out of Jared Weeks in this game. Isaac White played 19. I thought he had some a couple of looks where he got to the rim and he probably should have finished. But even still, it was only one for five. It's not like he was getting frequently to spots where he was taking the shots. So, yeah, I I have some concerns. I'll be honest. I, I, everyone looks at the Jack Jumpers as the team that bounces back. But I just think this is this is really tough defensively. But, hey, you're at home. Maybe you knock down a few threes early, start to feel a bit better about yourself. The crowd will be going crazy. Maybe you get a few extra nice calls with that physicality on your home deck. People don't (laughs) want to talk about it, but it happens. So maybe uh, back home, they can start to feel good about themselves. For sure. And look, the mental fortitude of the Tassie team is legitimate, right? So like, we can't discount that. Um, Unfortunately, like you said, the matchup is just really tough for them. Uh, we speak a lot about cans and how switchy they are and how that makes them really effective. You know, if you, New Zealand also goes through their switchy moments and you, ha- you have like a 6'6 McDowell White, you know, I want to say 6'6 Tom Abercrombie. You've got Darrell Brantley. You've got Derek Pardon, who is really mobile for his size. Like, you've got guys who they can constantly defend. There's always a hand in your face. It's tough to get to spots. Um, and that's why in the first quarter, I thought Sean, Sean McDonald had some really good looks. They just didn't fall. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have to make the most of those looks. And then when they aren't falling, you have to stick to that because this New Zealand defense won't let up. And like I said, if you revert to ISO ball, if you're just throwing it into Rashad Kelly or you have Milton Doyle just ISOing at the top, that's exactly what New Zealand wants to see because they will they will be able to, to guard that effectively. And then they have the, the bigger bodies to rebound as well. Um, Again, the, the the sort of mental fortitude of Tassie is, is legitimate and it could win them a game. Um, whether that wins them a game at home and then back in New Zealand against a matchup that I think is, is really tough for them, especially New Zealand defensively, it's it's tough to see that happening, especially if uh, New Zealand remains healthy and Barry Brown can be somewhat productive in the limited minutes he gets. You know, that's just bonus points for the breakers at this point. Yeah, and they did a great job on Milton Doyle, we should say as well. Uh, not only did he only have the 10 points, but he only took nine shots. Look, if, if the jack jumpers are going down, 
we need this man to take 20 shots. He, he has to because yep. he, you talk about the ISO ball and maybe you don't want to see some of the guys on this roster doing that and, and going alone. Milton Doyle, he's going to have to. And he's going to have to shoot well from three. He's going to have to get to those mid-range spots because they have been able to get there against the breakers. They haven't been able to get to the rim. But Doyle can operate in the mid-range, so they're going to need him, in my opinion, at least 20 shots. Uh, he's got to have it. But both teams play at a slow pace, which impacts the scoring. The Jack Jumpers actually only took 59 shots in this game overall. So, I mean, it, it, it was hard work. It was hard work. It was difficult to watch at times. We said that. It wasn't uh, an absolute showcase, but two tough teams that are going at it. And you're right. The resiliency with the Jack Jumpers is awesome. And let's just say... Uh, Scotty Roth was pretty stoic in the post-game press conference. He, said, he wasn't I just giving away home. anything, was he? Wasn't uh, the old journos uh, didn't have much luck with the uh, with the big fella there, <laughs> which I respect. We're in the middle of a series here. I mean, and they were in the middle of a cyclone as well. They were they were very By the way, lucky New to Zealand. get on flights this morning. Oh, just that's exactly right. My God, I mean, it is. I, I feel so bad. I mean, we talk about the stuff they've had to go through flooding a few weeks ago with the Melbourne stuff. Now the cyclone. And so I imagine that for both of these teams, there was maybe some other stuff. I mean, I'm, they're pro athletes. They're able to to focus on that. But it would have been a tough environment to play as well. But, geez, give, let's give so our friends in Gabrielle, the break. Gabrielle, come on. Come on, lady. Come on. It was, And they were very lucky to get on their flights this morning. I, I saw every other flight out of Auckland Airport was was canceled, except, I think, except for two international Qantas flights. So they were very lucky they, they ended up getting home. And they're also lucky they have a good break now. Tassie had a tough stretch getting from Cairns to New Zealand. They had some flight issues with that as well. I think their bags didn't get there in time. It wasn't, it wasn't great. Um, but now, you know, they're I think back in Tassie. They've got a few days to, to rest up and sort of just revert back to normal and, and sort of sleep in their own beds for a few nights before going into what I imagine is going to be an extremely kind of high-octane and physical game too. How much do flights cost, dogs? Should I get down there, you reckon? I mean, like I, th- I feel like witnessing the Jack Jumpers play at my state arena is priceless, Kane. It's true. I think yeah. it is. And as I said, we, we won a game three. So I mean, I'm driving stuff. to Sydney. Just go through some adversity to watch some NBA basketball. It's not it's not hard. Come on. Well, you've got family to stay with. Um, you don't have to. Uh, I don't have that luxury down in uh, Tasmania. But we'll see. It's going to be uh, an exciting Wednesday night. And Thursday night as well. And I should say the jump, by the way, this Wednesday night is something you should be very aware of. 7 p.m. to 7.30 leading into game one between Sydney and Cairns. And then as soon as the game is finished, we've got another half hour on the back of that for a post-game Ooh. show. So so it's nice. A nice little nice little double jump action and uh, pre-game, post-game. Like it. Something different. It should be fun. I like that a lot. I, again, I, I feel like I said this last time you guys did this. I should absolutely do that more often. That should be the norm, I think. Lead into games you know, close out games as well. I feel like that's a good viewing experience. It's a good three hours of, of basketball content. I agree. Next thing we're going to do is get the, uh, bring the jump to the grand final on the court. Do it. I don't even know if it's possible. I don't think this is the right Throw it in the concourse. In the concourse, man, people will go wild. Gazy, they'll see Gazy. <laughs> they'll see Copes. They'll ask who they'll I am. You. They'll see, yeah. And He's this little fella. I'll introduce myself and it'll be great. Everyone will have a great time. So maybe maybe that's possible. But either way, down to the final four teams is going to be fun. Hey, you drive safely, Oaks. Thank you. Thank you. I've got, I'm doing it in two days. I'm doing, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm wussing out a little bit. I'm not doing the whole trip. I'm splitting it up. I feel like that's smart. 
No, that's that's exactly right. Make sure you get your rest. All right, we'll be back next week. Uh, depending on the schedule, we'll see where we're at. Obviously, we're going to get through the semifinals. Then we're going to have a little uh, siesta, a little FIBA boomers uh, break over the next weekend. Siesta. And then we'll get into the grand final. But siesta, we will be podcasting. Man. Oh, it's like okay. I mean, I, you know, I'm of the opinion that keep the momentum rolling, man. Like get that, get this grand final done. We don't need to stop. So am I. Yeah, I hope I'm invited to the siesta. I'd love a good nap. I'm going to take a nap right now. Ogs, <laughs> I'll catch you next week. <laughs> Bye, Kane. Okay.